0: Welcome to the Community HealthCast from the Queen's Community Health Board. My name is Rick Conrad, and I'm joined today, as always, by Elizabeth Bailey, the coordinator of the Community Health Board. Hi, Elizabeth. I'm really looking forward to this episode. We've gone a little farther afield to find our guests today, but I think they're really great.
1: I'm really excited about it, too, Rick. Let's get to it.
0: Okay, so like I said, we're doing something a little different today on the Community HealthCast, and it's different because we're talking to a couple of people who are not from Queen's County. But we think our guests have some insights into an issue some of our listeners or their families might also be familiar with or have questions about. And that is coming out and living as a transgender person in a rural area. So we're very happy to welcome Jackie Dales and her son Ian from Stirling, Ontario, near Belleville. Jackie is a registered nurse, a mother of three and a proud ally of the 2SLGBTQ community. She enjoys advocating for equity for all people in her various professional and volunteer roles, including her work in long-term care. And she's involved in many advocacy and support groups in her hometown, including Rainbow Caregivers Network, uh, the Rainbow Youth Outreach, and supporting alternative youth. And Ian is 17 and recently graduated from high school. He came out as trans at 14 the summer before he began high school, and he has been a youth leader in his community, serving as a youth ambassador for Bay of Quinty, Pride, and Rainbow Youth Outreach. In September, he'll be starting a dual degree in political studies and law at Trent University. So, Jackie and Ian, welcome to our podcast.
1: Well, thanks so much for inviting yeah, us. Yeah, thanks.
0: And uh, you're both friends with our fellow board member, Paul Wood. I just want to give a little shout out to Paul because he put us in touch with you both. So, it's really great to talk to you today.
1: Yeah, Paul's a dear friend, and we're really excited to see him and Sean making a wonderful life in Nova Scotia. Liverpool's an incredible little town and a, a little jealous that we can't move there myself. <laughs> yeah, can't move there yet.
0: <laughs> we welcome retirees uh, very, very <laughs> much. So there you go. So I guess we'll get into it. And the first question is, Ian, uh, you came out when you were 14, like I said. So just tell us, what was that like for you? In a
2: word, coming out at 14 was uncertain. Not in the sense that I was uncertain of my identity, because I had kind of been having some weird gender feels since I was like eight or nine years old. But, you know, the common phrase thrown around is just a phase. Hearing that all the time kind of puts a, a seed of doubt in yourself. And I was uncertain in the sense of, you know, what if it is just a phase? And as a kid, you kind of get used to people telling you who you are which I feel is kind of just a universal kid thing. So that was a a perfect storm of uncertainty. And as I was questioning in those years, my anxiety was really high. I was having some mental health issues. And so that kind of led me to think, you know, maybe I'll just wait until I move out until I'm 18 and then just do it on my own. And then no one can tell me that that I can't. So yeah, that's kind of what it was like.
0: uncertain Mm -hmm. And, and you had told me before too, that you're glad you didn't wait until I think you said that you might've um, initially thought that you might wait until after high school, but you decided to come out then. Why are you happy that you didn't wait? Like I said, my mental
2: health was kind of really bad in grade eight and nine. And it kind of came to a breaking point of sorts where I knew that I had to make a decision of whether or not I was going to come out. And, you know, on one side, I, I could come out and transition and that was kind of, I felt the only thing that would actually help at that point. I had counselors and medication and things, but I knew that my problems would be a lot more long lasting unless I transitioned. And if I waited, it would kind of be a lot more suffering.
1: Comp- yeah. Compounded.
2: Yeah. So yes, grateful that I didn't have to have four more years of suffering. <laughs> And I mean, other other pluses came with that. Like I have had chances to educate people in my community and my mom is incredibly supportive and loving and I, you know, can kind of help my trans friends. I do have some trans friends that I met through high school and support groups and stuff like that who come to me about things like
0: testosterone, what's like starting, you know, stuff like that. And Jackie, what was it like for you as as Ian's mom when he came out?
1: Ian uh, had been struggling with his mental health. So he identified that he had some anxiety, but it was actually pretty profound. And he had been self-harming before he came out. And I was just so worried for him because I didn't know how to help him. And I didn't understand what was causing all of the distress that I could see my child going through. So when he finally felt safe enough to disclose his identity to me, I was actually so relieved Although I didn't know anything about gender identity at the time I uh, or how to help him, I knew that I could support him and advocate him once I understood. And it was a huge weight lifted for me. I was really grateful that he eventually felt safe enough to disclose that to me.
0: We mentioned that you're from or you live in Sterling, Ontario, and that's a small town of about 2000 people. Is that right?
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah.
0: Okay. So what was it like to come out in that kind of a community? And and then when you started high school, Ian, and then also for you, Jackie, being a supportive mother in that situation?
2: So I mean, again, the uncertain is is the word that comes to mind. I had never knowingly met another trans person in real life. I didn't know what it would be like as a trans person in this area. And Especially because our, our area is a place where religion is quite prominent. And, you know, there's certain stereotypes that come with that. I'm not saying that religious people are transphobic or homophobic, but there, there's an amount of there's, doubt there. Yeah.
0: And it's also a place where
1: there are lots of retirees. So there's a generational influence as well.
0: And then it sounds like you were able to find a community or find a supportive community shortly after you came out or soon after you came out. Tell us a bit about that. How, how did that happen?
1: Just going back to the idea of coming out in a small community, uh, what it was like for me, I personally felt the support of our community, despite knowing all of the dynamics that exist in our community. So at the time Ian came out, I was volunteering with a local service group. And I chose to step away from that organization so I could dedicate my time to the 2SLGBTQ-focused opportunities. But the members of that organization continue to check in with me. Um, They've invited me to speak at a meeting when the COVID restrictions are lifted. And my family and friends have, for the most part, been very supportive and very positive, despite maybe not understanding at times and I'm proud that my friends all took it in stride. And so despite being in a small community and despite the stereotypes that and uh, impressions that we have of, of our community as a closed minded and maybe not supportive community, my experience was actually the opposite of that. So I was really proud of my community in that moment.
2: Finding community was mo- probably the most instrumental thing as a, as a young trans person in finding youth support groups. I found a community of people who accepted me as I was when I said, you know, I use he, him pronouns. It was like, okay, that's a man in their minds. Whereas with your average Joe, you meet on the street, there's a certain amount of, I don't know if proving is the word, but a a certain amount of, you know, the human brain categorizes as male, female, as soon as you see someone. And I was getting female, female, female. I hadn't started testosterone. I was, it just, I was a kid and I, I didn't have to prove myself to, to that community, which was, it, it was like a huge weight off my shoulders. It was like, wow, I can just be myself. And it was incredibly refreshing.
0: You've done some educational work with, uh, with some groups in your community. Is that right? Yes. So tell us a bit about that. Who have you worked with? So what sorts of things do you, uh, do, you do with them?
1: We have done work with community college and local high school groups, elementary schools. And we actually, Ian wasn't a part of that conversation, but we did a presentation for municipal employees who are trying to get some inclusion, understanding of inclusion of identity and particularly trans identity. We really try to get people thinking about identity and getting them to ask questions so we create an environment where they can ask questions they probably shouldn't ask to us LGBTQ people um, so that when they do meet someone whose gender or sexual identity is different than theirs, they have a point of reference and they understand how to be respectful.
2: With any education that we do, it, we kind of start with the basics, which is important for some people. And a lot a lot of people are already there. But again, living in a rural area, some people need that just kind of base point <laughs>
1: So definitions of identity, yeah, and that really creates a language that you can base a conversation from, right? If you understand what you're talking about, if you understand the language, it makes the conversation a little easier.
2: I like for the idea of our education to kind of to give whoever we're trying to educate kind of an idea of what it might be like to live as a trans person. So we cover things that trans people deal with semi-regularly, dysphoria, what it feels like, navigating the medical system, the barriers that are within that, and social stigmas, and all all that kind of stuff that we face on a daily basis, and kind of just generating an understanding of what that's like.
0: And for people who aren't familiar with that term dysphoria, could you just tell us a bit about what that means for you as a trans person? Sure. As
2: a trans person, I experience gender dysphoria, which basically is a kind of broad term that covers disconnect that I feel with my born sex and how I identify as a man. So it's everything from social stuff, like what pronouns people refer to me as to physical biological facts about my body.
0: You sort of create a safe space for these people to ask you the questions they shouldn't be asking. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So tell us a bit about that. How does that work? What are some of the questions people shouldn't be asking trans people?
2: There's the normal stuff that is kind of you're very curious about initially. The very inappropriate stuff like how do you have sex and have you had the surgery With big air quotes, it's not just one B and all surgery. To other things like, do you think you're going to regret it? Do you think you're going to detransition? Or asking about someone's quote-unquote real name, their given name at birth. Questions about where someone transitioned are questions that should be navigated carefully around the average person. But when we're doing education, I for sure open up my transition experience to other people because uh, I feel that it's important and I personally am not uncomfortable talking about it but many many people are and I would be careful also about treating the regular trans person that you meet who is not actively trying to educate you kind of treating those people as an educator Mm -hmm. so it's, it's a lot different for us when I open myself up to those questions but just asking a regular trans person just think before you ask, you know, do you need to know that? Or can you Google it? (laughs) Or uh, have they told you that they're comfortable talking about that? All those sorts of things.
1: If you couldn't ask it at a cocktail party, although (laughs) some people do ask those really inappropriate questions at a cocktail party, you probably shouldn't ask it to a trans person. It's not the job of a trans person to educate you it's your job to educate yourself about trans identity and other identities in general. That really applies to any equity group and not just trans people, right? We've hearing a lot about black lives matter right now because of all the incredible amount of work that's being done in the justice communities. And it's the same dynamic. Black people shouldn't educate you on how to be respectful of a black identity you should do that work yourself. And it's the same in the trans and LGBT community.
0: Do you get the sense that at least in your area and the people you've uh, encountered and, uh, and worked with, or just generally speaking, the community, do you get the sense that being trans is still, or, or meeting a trans person, person, I should say, is still new for a lot of people? Or is, is that an incorrect assessment?
2: New? Absolutely. I couldn't tell you the amount of times that after discussions or seminars or whatever, an amount of people come up to me saying, thanks so much for coming. You're the first trans person I've ever met. Like so, so many. But you know, that kind of just reinforces in my mind how important it is for those people to have that education.
0: When you came out, you'd mentioned before that you you've been able to access some peer support in other groups for queer and trans people and their families. And how important uh, was that and has that been for you as a family and for you personally?
2: For me personally, like I said, it was instrumental, the most important thing for me before medically transitioning. Again, I didn't have to prove myself to these people. They just accepted me as I was and I didn't even need to name myself. I didn't even have to say, you know, I'm transgender or I'm bisexual or whatever. It was just, I use him pronouns, let's hang out for a while. <laughs> and it was really nice to just be a normal person around those people.
1: And so when Ian came out, I recognized that it was important for me to introduce myself to the 2SLGBTQ community as an ally and for Ian to meet people who identified in similar ways to him. So I looked for other parents of trans children as well but not knowing any other trans people made that really difficult. So I reached out to a person in the community who was identified on the PFLAG website as being support for parents in the Quinte region, but there's no local active chapter. There are other groups though. There's Say Out Loud, which is a youth peer support group. There's Rainbow Youth Outreach, which is a harm reduction committee. And so One of the things that I did was create a peer support group for parents because that was a gap that I identified.
0: And what advice would you give, uh, would you both give to young trans people and their families about coming out, about support, and about being trans in a smaller area?
1: So, my advice is to connect with established groups that exist already as much as you can. Uh, The internet is great for a lot of things, but sometimes sitting down with someone for a good chat or reaching out when you're feeling vulnerable. And having a real person there for you is really important, too. For me, connection is the key. And for us, it was really important after we made those connections to increase visibility. That carries some risks, but the benefits are huge. We're an out and proud family, in part because we have the support of of community and also because 2SLGBTQ families need to be seen as a normal part of every community.
2: Word of advice for young trans kids is risks are sometimes important to take even if your biological family isn't that supportive found family is a huge thing it's incredible to find a different family and in, in the friends and your peers around you first year of high school i met someone who was already identifying as trans and i clung to that person and all throughout high school we have each been each other's shoulder to cry on and, and to talk about trans stuff, gender stuff, or regular teenage stuff and huh. that's found family is really important.
1: Being a trans person is only part of your identity and that all of the other things that other teenagers go through, you go through too. And so focusing on trans identity can be overwhelming if that's all you do. Mm -hmm. And so having those normal average conversations is really, it's really important as well. It can be compounded for trans people to have that identity, but having other trans friends means that that part of your identity isn't the thing that your friends are focusing on Mm -hmm. because they're all there too.
0: Thank you to our guests, Jackie and Ian Dales for the great discussion today. Thank you for having us.
1: Thanks for the opportunity. For more resources on this topic or to learn more about the Queen's Community Health Board, visit us on Facebook at Queen's Community Health Board or call Coordinator Elizabeth Bailey at 902-298-0401. On the next Community HealthCast, host Barbara Rost interviews Angie Zink, Director of Communications and Outreach for 211 Nova Scotia. Tune in and join the conversation.